It was about this time that the that King Herod arrest, arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw this met with approval among the Jewish religious authorities, he proceeded to seize Peter also. And this happened during the festival on unleavened bread. So after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side, woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the, the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, and the angel, the angel told him this. So Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards, came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through. And when they'd walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. So when Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel, rescued me from Herod's clutches, from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. And Peter knocked at the outer entrance. A servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and said, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. And when she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. And Peter motioned his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. And then he left for another place. This indeed is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Would you bow with me for just a moment, please? Lord, I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. Through Jesus Christ, the living Lord, we pray. I believe that prayer is an essential part of our lives as we follow Jesus. And like the early disciples, we continue to ask, Lord, teach us to pray. You know, we can talk to God anytime, anywhere, about anything. One of my favorite little books is a book called Children's Letters to God. And in that book, you can read about children trying to talk with God in various situations. 
The children are so honest. They're so real. They're so specific. Two examples. Donna talked to God. Dear God, last week it rained three days. I thought it would be Noah's Ark all over again, but it wasn't. And I'm glad because you could only take two things. Remember that? We have three cats. Goodbye, God. Thank you. Or this was little Norman's prayer. Dear God, I'm sorry I was late for Sunday school, but I couldn't find my underwear. So real. So honest. So specific. Prayer has been called the mightiest force in the world. That's a revolutionary thought, considering the kind of world in which we live today. But if we're honest about it, sometimes we wonder. Sometimes we question. Sometimes we even doubt. A church member said to me one time, Pastor, I've stopped praying because my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. I always seem to be getting a busy signal when I try to communicate with God. Have you ever felt that way? A teenage girl said to her parents, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop praying to the old God, and I'm going to start praying to a different God. But it's just not working out for me. Have you ever felt that way when doubts about God and his loving care make you want to turn elsewhere? Well, through it all, I can tell you that I believe in prayer because I believe in the God that Jesus came to show us the God of powerful love and loving power, the God who cares and listens and knows what's best for each and every one of us, the God who understands, the God who takes us seriously and takes our sins seriously, the God who suffers when we suffer, the God who rejoices when we rejoice. God cares about us, and he wants us to tell him about the big hurts of life, And he wants us to tell him about the the bumps and the scrapes of everyday living and all that we are and all that we do. When we read the New Testament, we realize that for Jesus, prayer was the foundation of what he was about, the calling of his disciples, the teaching and the healing and the preaching and even the dying on the cross. And he could move easily from direct communication with the Father God to direct communication with persons. His life of prayer was always just under the surface of things. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't a last resort at all. And according to Jesus, one of the most important things we can learn about praying is to keep at it. To keep on keeping on. As we read in the book of Acts, the story of the early church, we can see that those followers of Jesus were open and receptive to the power of God's spirit. They were a praying bunch, and they kept at it. When we turn to our scripture lesson for today, we learn that it was a time of persecution for the early church. Church leaders were in danger. King Herod Agrippa I, in order to gain the applause of the religious authorities, 
had ordered the beheading of James, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee. And then he'd ordered the arrest of Simon Peter, postponing his execution until after the feast of the Passover, again to gain the approval of the religious authorities. Peter was in prison, and arrangements were made for four squads of soldiers to guard him. A squad had four soldiers in it, so there were 16 guards to make sure Peter stayed locked up. Two guards were chained to the prisoner, two guards at the door, and they served on three-hour watches. All that detail Luke gives us to point out that there was just no way for him to escape. And Peter fell asleep. Can you imagine? Experiencing all that falling asleep. But he knew the church was praying for him. You know, intercessory prayer is often being called love on its knees. Because when we pray for someone else, our selfishness is put aside, barriers come down, and our sensitivity is heightened. And when that person knows we're praying for him or her, there develops a peace, an assurance, a hope, and a courage, which otherwise would be impossible. So Peter fell asleep. And then we find that the church had gathered in the home of John Mark's mother to pray for Peter. They were in the upper room, that same upper room where Jesus had been with the disciples for the Last Supper. The church had prayed all night. They prayed earnestly. They prayed fervently. They prayed long and hard. And as they prayed, there was a knock at the door. And the maid Rhoda moved to the door. She heard that knock. And she heard Peter's voice, and so she was so excited, she left Peter standing there and ran in to tell the church. The praying church said, Rhoda, you're beside yourself. You've lost touch with reality. It couldn't be. Maybe it's his guardian angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And finally, they stopped praying, went to the door, opened it, and were amazed. There stood Peter. He told them to be quiet. The noise would awaken the authorities. And then he told them how God had made the impossible possible. Now, what does this part of the story in the book of Acts have to say to us today? Well, I think there are many lessons we could take from it, examples about lessons about prayer and faith and so forth. But in reading these verses again, I've been considering a question which might seem strange. Maybe you can identify with it. The question is, have your prayers ever been interrupted? In other words, have you ever been interrupted when you're speaking long and hard to God, when you're talking to God? The storm was pretty bad that evening, and our son was driving to Richmond from his home in Washington, D.C. Storms were just clobbering Virginia, and the weather report said that the very worst storms were hitting Washington and northern Virginia, and Brad was moving on I-95 right through the middle of all that. It was about 6 o'clock. I also knew that our daughter Elizabeth usually drives home from work from her office on Broad Street to Rovius Road uh, on 288, 
about that time of the evening. That's a busy road, and it is an especially busy uh, rush hour. So like most parents, no matter how old your children are, I was concerned, and I was worried. <clears throat> so I decided it was time to pray. And I prayed, and I paced a little bit, and I prayed, and I paced, and all of a sudden the telephone rang. My prayers were interrupted by a ringing telephone, and I felt kind of relieved. It was Brad or Elizabeth telling me they were okay. But when I picked up the receiver, the voice on the other end said, Mr. Porter, I said, yes. He said, I represent the police. Well, I froze. And I said, well, what's wrong? And he said, well, nothing's wrong. Every year at this time, we have our annual fun drive. And I'm calling <laughs> to ask if you would make a contribution. <laughs> and I said, sir, you took the breath out of me. I said, my children are both on the road in this bad weather. And he said, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. And my friends, I don't remember if I said anything else to him or if he said anything else to me. I know I didn't make a contribution. I never did hear anything from him. But have your prayers ever been interrupted by a knock at the door or a ringing telephone? And then go with me a little farther. I wonder if God is sometimes seeking to interrupt our prayers to break through to us in the rough and tumble of our lives when we're raising our voices to him. Are we listening? Are we paying attention? Hard enough for us to listen to each other. I think of the words from 1 Kings that Wilton read this morning. Uh, Elijah was running away from Queen Jezebel for his life, you remember. He was hiding in a cave, and he communicated with God. Two times, he raised his voice, same words, two times. Lord God Almighty, I've always served you and you alone, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down their altars, killed their prophets, and I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me. And through his words and feelings and concerns, God interrupted him so that he would pay attention to God's plan for his life. There was a furious wind that split the hills, shattered the rocks, and then when the wind stopped blowing, there was an earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. And after the fire, there was that still, small voice. Or as one translation puts it, the soft whisper of a voice. Are we prepared to experience that soft whisper of a voice? How can we prepare? Through worship? Through Bible reading? Christian fellowship? Are we paying attention? Are we open and sensitive to that soft whisper of a voice? Now, I've never heard a deep, booming voice coming out of the clouds, but I've experienced the soft whisper of God's voice through a word from a caring friend, through a thoughtful sympathy card, through a verse from the Bible through the choir singing some special music, through a favorite hymn, through a knock at the door when a neighbor brought some food at a very difficult time. 
to it all, are we listening to that soft whisper of God's voice? Are we paying attention? I had an experience a couple of years ago that I'd like to share with you this morning. The church where we were serving was a very busy situation. I had some big concerns about what was going on. And one evening, um, the telephone rang, and it was our son Brad calling from D.C. He said to me, Dad, uh, I have two tickets to the baseball game. The Nationals are playing the Orioles. Would you like to come? Well, I was there before he hung up the telephone. And, uh, but the next day, I rode Amtrak up to Union Station, met Brad. We went to the ball game to Nationals Park. My team lost, but it was a great time. I had a good, good experience. So that night, I stayed at Brad's place. And the next morning, he went to work. And I decided to walk over to the National Cathedral. I'd never been there. It wasn't that far. So I walked over to the National Cathedral. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And I went inside and, and looked at this huge high ceiling, stained glass windows all around, symbols of our faith. Uh, I felt like Isaiah the prophet. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And as I was standing there taking all this in, one of the guides came up to me and said, do you see that window up there at the top? He said, we call that the space window. And he said, after our astronauts walked on the moon in 1969, NASA sent us a piece of the moon rock. And he said, it, it's embedded up there in that little window. I was awestruck. It was just amazing. So then I said to the guy, you know, a friend of mine has told me about a chapel that you have here at the cathedral called the Chapel of the Good Shepherd. Could you tell me where it is? And he said, well, it's on the bottom level. Uh, all you have to do is go down the steps, and, and you'll find it. Well, I went down the steps, and they have chapels everywhere on that level. So again, I asked, and I was directed to the Chapel of the Good Shepherd. It's like a plaza, the smallest of all the chapels. And I went in, and they have some tiny pews, probably, probably five or six of those pews that would sit two people each, and uh, nobody else was around. So I walked in, and like a good Baptist, I sat on the last pew. And I looked up at the front, and there was a table with an altar on it. And then behind the table, there was a sculpture, and it was a sculpture of a shepherd holding a little lamb in his arms. And I focused on that shepherd, his strong arms cradling that little lamb and looking down with compassion on that little creature. I sat there in silence. Nobody was around, no noise, didn't say a word. A lot of times I've been threatened by silence. But I wasn't. I just sat there. And I focused on that sculpture of the good shepherd. And you know, from some place or someone came this message to me. You know, through the years, from pulpits and one-on-one, -on -one, you've told people God loves them. 
Don't you remember a year ago she turned down a payment? Wow. I was reminded, not just who I am, but whose I am. Sometimes we need to be reminded whose I am. And I needed that at that particular time in my life and in my marriage. I didn't want to leave. I felt glued to that pier. I felt like Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. Lord, let's just stay here on the mountain. Let's not go back to the water. But time was moving along, and I had to go back to catch Amtrak back here to Richmond, the rough and tumble of it all, the hassle of it all. But you know, I left that place with a whole different perspective on things. And it continues to this very day. From some place or someone came that message I needed saved. I think of the words that we can read in the book of Revelation. The living Lord says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and eat with him and he with me. My question today for me and all of us is, Will we open the door of our lives in the middle of it all, the noise and the hassle of it all? Will we open the door of our lives and hear the whispering of our hearts? Would you bow with me?